Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is your host, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazzanoble, Trevor Kidd, and Greg Tito. In today's episode on the digital side, we first speak with Doug Davidson regarding fantasy grounds and the virtual table. Then Chris Dupuy and Ben Petrosor join us to discuss the latest D&D board game and entry in the D&D adventure system, Temple of Elemental Evil. Doug, thanks for being here. It is a pleasure to get the chance to talk to you. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. <laughs> because we here at D&D, we can't resist a good how they met story. Yes. So you have a future or a a future. You have a future. You have a future. I just want you to I hope you do. We hope you do. I'm also a past. She is. She's a writer. She's a marketing person and a psychic. Yeah, Trevor, actually, you're going to need to go to the dentist soon. That's something just popped up in your aura. Just letting you know. Probably probably true. I think she's looking at your teeth. You don't need to be no psychic. I, you I, didn't get to see my finger wave. I got to go, everybody. Anyway, <laughs> go brush your Doug, teeth. I'm sorry. If we're a little punchy at 4 Floss o'clock. more. Oh, no, that's what we're saying. Um, but you have a past with D&D. Someone dun, dun, dun. somewhere down the line introduced you to the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game. Who was it? When was yeah. it? Okay, so, you know, I used to, we would go up to the local bookstore or whatever, and we would see... All the different books. That was like a family outing sort of thing. And I would always see all of the Dungeons and Dragons, like adventure modules, all shrink wrapped and with the really nice covers and all that kind of stuff. And I always wanted to play whatever that was. I had no idea what was inside, in between the two covers, but that's what I wanted to play. And uh, my parents would always say, oh, no, that's not really for you. Or, you know, I had something that they thought on the cover was not maybe appropriate for a young child. Or, uh, you know, I had scantily clad women, which I was evidently drawn to to at a young age. <laughs> so, uh, it's so weird. Yeah, and it's strange like That's that. That's odd but, uh, for an adolescent boy to So I, I never never really got the opportunity to, to pick those up, but I got lucky one day. I got dragged out by my mother to go to a yard sale of all things, oh. and um, I managed to spot the Red Box D&D set that someone, someone's mother was making them throw out, I guess, or something. <laughs> and so they had like a, a sticker price of like a quarter or something ridiculous on it. So I, of course, snagged that as soon as possible. Didn't ask. Uh, for any, any like, I didn't have to ask for any money for it, anything or anything. And then I got home and I read through it, like, as much as I possibly could. And I learned all these kind of new words and I'm trying to figure out what a melee attack is and how to pronounce it properly and all that kind of stuff. But I was instantly, like, hooked and enamored on it. And then so I'd, I was actually the one that then turned around and introduced all my friends to it because uh, I got the role of being the DM because I was the only person that had the game. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's how it happened. <clears throat> So I spent the early part of my career or, uh, you know, experience with Dungeons & Dragons actually being the DM. I didn't really get a play until much, much later uh, when I started to come across other DMs. And, uh, and then, you know, now fast forward to today and I'm, you know, still being a big kid and playing it, you know, as often as I possibly can. That's awesome. I love being a big kid. Who, yeah. who doesn't? So uh, with that in mind, are you actually playing in, an, in a campaign now? I just finished running my players through the uh, Lost Mine of Fandelver, and, and I haven't started them up on the new one, uh, you know, any of the new adventures yet. So I've been thinking about ducking in and joining um, some, some other folks who are playing through. They're on partway through the Horde of the Dragon Queen. Um, 
but I'm not really sure if I want to jump into that one or just wait, and I might need to kick off with maybe the Princes of the Apocalypse or something. I'll probably probably be the DM again, so I don't know if I'll be, <laughs> be able to, to be the player or not yet. But I think Princes of the Apocalypse is a fun one for a dungeon master. Yeah. It's definitely fun for players, but the people that I know that have been DMing it are really, really liking it. Yeah, we see a lot of good feedback about you know how kind of how open it is and all the cool tools that people have for running it as a DM. So, and it yeah. sounds like you've been spending most of your time doing uh, DMing uh, instead of playing. Is that something? Is that what you prefer? Do you prefer DMing over playing, or or, or do you like to switch phase. back and forth? Yeah, I kind of go through phases. So I like to kind of switch back and forth a little bit, um, and then you know I like to play other different types of games systems as well. So every once in a while I'll switch it up and then play something completely different for a while. Mm -hmm. But a lot of my campaigns tend to run, like when I'm doing my own kind of homebrew stuff, a lot of, a lot of times those have ran for, for like a year and a half, two years or so. And so, um, you know, those are a little bit more draining because you, you spend a lot more time prepping and, uh, you know, getting everything really just, just right for the players. And uh, But it's fun. And, you know, I, I really enjoy that aspect and I, I enjoy kind of just rolling with what the players throw at you and then just taking it in a, in a completely different direction that you never thought it was going to go. <laughs> I, I find that that's really, really fun, especially if you just, like, just let them go with, with their gut, you know. That's a good uh, skill for a dungeon master, I think, to have the, the roll with the punches, just see what the players are going to throw with you, yeah. throw at you, the ability to just see what happens. As a DM, I always think I'm going to be like the Tolkien or like, you know, the <laughs> puppet master Sherlock Holmes DM, but I'm really more like the Robin Williams DM where it's yeah. like, oh, I'll just make something up as it goes. Oh, yeah, I sure. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So which do, which do you like, Doc? Do you, do, do you like to have lots of, you know, pre-made stuff ahead of time and, and, and do a lot of, of work before the game or do you like to make it up as you go along? You know, what I like to do a lot of times so that the players don't realize that I'm preparing a lot of stuff in advance is I like to prepare events more so than overarching kind of storylines. So, mm -hmm. you know, I might have kind of some stuff that I know is going to go on re regardless of what, whether the players interact with it or not. So, you know, the bad guys are going to be doing their stuff, uh, you know, anyway and, and that stuff's happening all around the player so if the players decide to take a detour and go do something else then the world has changed uh because of the player's non-involvement in that other area so you know i try to have that sort of theme rolling but a lot of times i have kind of set pieces that i like to plug in and i look for opportunities to then spring them on the players and then from their point of view they still think hey we took it in this other complete direction and there just happened to be this whole other thing that that we experienced they don't necessarily realize that i may have prepared you know, some iteration of that, like maybe even like six months earlier, and now this is my opportunity to finally like, you know, unleash it on the players because the timing is right and everything kind of fit in place. Sounds all fancy. Yeah. You, you, do, you do a lot of prep. Yeah. As compared to me, lately I've been like, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's this thing that happens because that's what I thought of an hour ago. Hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Or <laughs> just that. Works yeah. <laughs> that works too. So it's kind of amazing that you have any time at all to play because Smiteworks... Your company is not a large company. There's no, three there's of you? Two, uh, there's two full-time people, and then we have um, one kind of a official contracted developer that we, that we now have. We, and then we have, you know, a couple dozen or so other developers who do, like, some jobs for us here and there, and, and we do that on kind of like an individual commission basis. Which this is, it's very impressive considering anyone who has taken the time to actually look at the Fantasy Grounds virtual table and the depth and the tools and everything that is actually available there, that's amazing that that actually ever gets input in there. I don't, I can't even wrap my brain around how it happens, 
But <laughs> Can you tell us the programming and how it happens? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, let me get a pen. Could you walk us through the code? In the yeah. <laughs> it's like those old basic program lines. You're like, you're, That'll be really good yeah. for, for podcast material, right? We'll just... <laughs> oh, yeah, it's course, pretty amazing, though. I remember like looking over Chris Lindsay's shoulder, and he was like, look at this. Wait. You want to see this? There's this is so right much. here. Yeah. Right. Everything's yeah. in there. From every, every facet. Of Check what out. You would I'm going to have table. this monster make this attack, and then I'm going to have the monster make this attack, and then I'm going to do this thing. I'm just like, okay, that's all pretty impressive. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, no. obviously, oh sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I was just going to say it's it's something that yeah it does take a lot of time and effort to obviously get that stuff in there. But we were kind of lucky. Like I wasn't one of the original creators of Fantasy Grounds. I actually purchased the company back in 2009. And then the other owner, John, I brought him on in 2010. So uh, before then, it was actually developed originally in 2004 by three guys out in Finland. And you know, I felt like I had a software development background and I had a software uh, consulting firm that I had at that point in time. And uh, I was an end user for a little while, really fell in love with the program. And, and I fell in love with how easy it was to extend it and to continue to add my own kind of like new rule sets and add new content and all that sort of stuff. And I, I kind of felt like it could go even farther than what it was. So I reached out and, and asked if they'd be interested in selling the company. And they weren't originally. And then, you know, through some kind of going back and forth, I eventually was able to get it. But uh, so a lot of the, the reason why it's able to do what it does, I have to give full credit to, um, you know, the original creators. They had just a really brilliant kind of architecture that really allowed us to then take it to this level and then kind of expand on. And then, yeah. Those fins, they're really right. good at, at uh, coding architecture. And vodka. Yeah. And vodka. Yes. Well, all, your, all your stereotypes <laughs> about coding and vodka over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us what some of the highlights are when you're playing D&D on the Fantasy Grounds virtual table? How, how does it work for the user? Okay, so we kind of focused a lot on the DM side of things. And, you know, that's not surprising that that's the type of product that I like. You know, it's that... <laughs> Uh, it allows me to do all the sort of stuff that I really love to do when I DM, and that's to prepare my campaign and to have all this stuff linked and, and ready to go so that when I'm actually running my game that it runs as smoothly as possible. And, and then John has really taken it and enhanced the, the kind of the core engine and the rule set to be like really, really strong at, at doing uh, different types of automation. And then you know once you get into especially higher level play when you have every type of monster has like 10 different resistance and special effects and abilities and all this different kind of stuff, it becomes very, very challenging to track all that, like when you're running just in a face-to-face -face game. And, and so that's why we really wanted to try to make as much of that automated as possible so that when you do an attack, like a fireball attack, and someone has like resistance against fire, then it'll automatically help, you know, apply that for you so that you don't have to remember all of those different things. And then, uh, so just, we keep trying to add more and more of that sort of functionality and feature into it. And, uh, you know, and aside from that, it has the other sort of basic virtual tabletop sort of functionality, like the sharing of the maps and revealing kind of fog of war and, and that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, so just, just trying to make it simple for you to have everything at your fingertips is kind of the main, main key and highlight that I would focus on. So if I were to cast, <clears throat> say, Burning Hands, would it, would it show me where my, the area is that I was burning? So, so basically, we don't have it preloaded with the size of the area effect, but we have like a really cool like area effect um, tools where you can basically draw out the templates of different sizes. Oh, that's cool. 
and then you can spin it around, and then that very clearly shows you. And, and when it's on a map that has a grid loaded on it, it'll actually highlight only those squares that fall underneath the template. Yes. So you That's no longer get into that whole thing about, oh, is it, is it in, is it out, oh, it's clipping the edge, or you know, this or that Trevor or whatever. Again by yeah, well, you'll, you'll be on purpose. There'll, there'll, be, there'll be no like, oh, I accidentally got Trevor. Oh, it's like you clearly God, saw that I was in. There. Is there a way I could move around to make sure I get Trevor in this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see well, we're, we're going to have a feature that automatically moves Trevor into the middle of every area. <laughs> oh. Sold. So. <laughs> I think you, just, you sold just at least like five or six people on, yeah. on yeah. Fantasy Grounds. Yeah, just, just tell us what his usernames are and we'll make sure to code that. <laughs> Uh, we're not. We're not going. Perfect. That's, I know that's what the benefits. <laughs> that's the benefits of having someone who's actually doing the coding to do all these pranks. Uh, I love exactly. this. There's going to be yeah. some special message every time I log in. It's going to be great. You're like, and, good morning, Trevor. Yeah, and not we're only going that. To kill you. <laughs> good morning, Trevor. <laughs> if Greg ever opens with "Good morning, Trevor" like that, just yeah, go it's bad. away. No, just it's a bad day. Go bad to day. HR. <laughs> 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 but I mean, it's also you're obviously a D and D player and dungeon master and fan, so you know you. You are essentially who you're designing for, so it's it's really cool to have you at the helm of this. Yeah, I mean, we we are always pushing pushing ourselves, and and nowadays uh, I don't spend as much time on the the core coding aspect as much as John does. Um, but so now I've kind of changed a little bit since I'm managing more of the business sort of side of things, and I do some coding here and there. So I just throw all these ideas. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if I did this <laughs> or that, or whatever? And then John curses my name for a while, and yep. then comes back and says, okay, we'll try this and see if this works. And then, you know, we go back and forth. So that's kind of how we iterate over, you know, the various ideas and, and thoughts. Is John like in your D&D game? Sorry. Uh, no, he's not. He's actually over in your all's neck of the woods, which we he should be in my D&D oh. game. Just haven't, you know, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we do beta testing and stuff with each other, but I don't know if he would trust me as a DM. He knows I'd probably kill his character. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's not good. You guys work so closely together. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if Laura was running a game for me, I'd be like, I don't, I don't want to upset Laura. I don't want to. <laughs> sure, I'll just take that damage. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm surprised at how whatever. much how much guff we give Chris in our games. I was like, you guys work with him, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I know. He doesn't hold it against us, though. No, no. Another good trait of a dungeon master. There we go. That's true. You can't take things personally as a dungeon master. No. You really can't. Yeah. So, Doug, can you talk a little bit more about how uh, fifth edition content is integrated within the tabletop itself? Like, how will people. You know, now that, that we've been working with you for the last, uh, you know, it's been released for the last month or so, but uh, uh, how will people who uh, uh, purchase the packs and stuff be able to, to look at monsters and, and, and spells and, and all the, the rules that are baked into 5th edition? Sure. So, like, uh, the complete core monster pack or any of the sub-packs that are, you know, have subsets of monsters. So that basically provides, a, you know, a list and, and multiple different lists. It actually has it by challenge rating. Uh, just alphabetical and uh, by the creature type as well. And then you can very quickly like, you know, pull it up and do a search. Like anything that has the word fire in it or goblin in it or whatever will very quickly narrow it down. And then you can drag those over to your own encounters. And then uh, they have the tokens preset form based off of the image that's in there. They've got the full description from the monster manual that's there at your fingertips. So you just flip over to another tab and it has it all there. And then you've got the image of the creature that you can then open up and share it. So instead of like turning the book around and saying, hey, look at everybody, you know, this looks really pretty cool. You can just share that with the players and then they can look at it when they're done with it. They can just close it off of their screen. And then, uh, you know, then it has all the stats kind of preloaded in too. So any of the attributes that you want to run, if you need it to make a dexterity check or intelligence check for a monster or a saving throw or whatever, it's all just like a double click kind of an interface 
along with all of their attacks and special abilities and that sort of stuff. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about that we're getting ready to roll out now is that uh, previously we used to have, you know, there's a lot of like really cool monsters that have either innate spell casting or just, you know, pure spell casting because they're also like wizards or sorcerers or something. And it would list, you know, in the monster manual, it lists all the different spells that they know, right? So now uh, we've modified that so that in addition to that, it'll actually have those spells preloaded in so you can drag and drop those attacks at the proper, like, uh, saving throw DC against the targets. Um, and then you can also do the same thing with the damage and that sort of stuff, too. So it's just one more step that instead of having to then go back to another source and saying, okay, so what does this spell do? When you drag it into your combat tracker and it, you know, it puts them in the initiative order, when their turn comes up, it'll have, like, a list of all... All of their main attacks, like here, I can you know the lich can touch you and drain drain you with its cold energy, or it can actually you know cast a fireball spell, and then you just target all your all all the players that are in the area of effect and, and have it automatically roll against the lich's DC, for instance. And I saw you uh, do a demo uh, with these new features. I think you had the dev version of, of Fantasy Grounds open, and we're showing us this, and it, it looked awesome. It was just very seamless for, for a DM. You wouldn't even have to bat an eye. You're just all of a sudden dragging and dropping stuff and things. And just concentrate on describing the battle and, and, and you know the emotional beats of the fight rather than have to worry about the, the nuts and bolts of the mechanics. And I think it's awesome that, that Fantasy Grounds gives you those tools. Exactly. exactly. And then, you know, the thing like the Lost Mine of Thandelver, all the adventure modules uh, are really like ready to run sort of adventures that, you know, you read through it just like you could like in, a, you know, the printed mod module. But then now you've got the maps already kind of resized with the grid laid over top. And uh, each of the rooms, whenever you enter that room, the DM can very quickly see what's in each of the rooms coming up. You know, click a button, pull up the full description of it, share the box text with the player so they can read it out loud when they, or they can, you know, read it simultaneously with the DM, kind of paraphrasing it and rewording it himself or herself. And then, you know, same thing with the treasures. You just drag and drop the treasures and then you can share that with the players, you know, once they defeat that encounter and they've looted the room and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, just things to help make the game run a lot faster and, uh, and to reduce the prep time for people that really want to run those pre-done adventures. I wish I could drag and drop treasure in my real life. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Like, boom. Making so, it rain. So I know we've got lots. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we make it rain now? That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. can we make it rain? Like, cool. In Seattle, can we make it rain? You could drag and drop like, people's <laughs> lunches. Like, I just feel like, see, Craig's spaghetti looks really good. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your pizza today. Pizza people today were coveting. So really, we all wish we had psychic powers. That's yeah. what yeah, we're the, saying here. Yeah. The problem is when you try to divide Craig or Greg's, you know, spaghetti to six people, it's 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 messy. You know, oh, someone true. gets more than somebody else. It's we need some kind of replicating technology. Yeah. Oh, now you ruined Clone it. my spaghetti. We just, <laughs> so we need a suite of powers now. I think we moved, we moved on. <laughs> Can you on work that. on that for us, Doug? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. something you yeah. could whip up. I'll suggest it to John, you know. And there you go. Yeah, suggest it to John. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> I'm seeing how this relationship works. I like it. Yeah. We need a. Oh, never mind. That was going to come out really weird. <laughs> I'm glad you stopped yourself there. That was great. Wow. great. Shelly needs a job. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so ba back on topic, I know, we've got, I know we've got a lot of things, a lot of offerings, actually, D&D uh, &D offerings on uh, Fantasy Grounds now. And for new people, it may be a little like daunting seeing all this stuff going on. Um, can you, a couple different things, can you go ahead and... and Give us an overview of what D&D products are on there and then like what that means as far as like licensing and subscriptions and how all that works. Yeah. Sure. All right. So there's a couple of different like tiers of the Fantasy Ground software itself. Uh, the Probably the simplest things is we have two different subscription models. We have a basic standard subscription, which is like $4 a month. 
That allows you to get in. You get all the assets and all the functionality of Fantasy Grounds. Nothing is really limited. The only thing that's different is that you need to have your players, when they connect to you, they have to have their own license as well. And then the only other option that we have uh, on the subscription model is we have a $10 a month, which the GM gets that. We call that the ultimate subscription. And then the players can all connect for free using like a demo license. Uh, regardless of which one of those licenses you have, any products that you have, like if you have the Lost Mind of Van Delver or whatever, your players don't need any of that sort of stuff to play and participate in the game. And in fact, any of the class pack stuff, the, the DM can actually share that so that when the players connect, they can build their characters online uh, using any of those resources within that campaign. Uh, and then so for the player side, um, you know, we have a lot of different things that are, the main thing is kind of what we call the complete core class pack. And that pretty much gives you everything that you would get in the player's handbook in addition to like a whole bunch of like D&D uh, &D portraits that we were able to kind of like uh, work with, with uh, you guys to, to pull together uh, that are, you know, specific to different classes and races and all of that sort of thing. So it has all that sort of stuff in there. And then what that gives you is that you've got all the spells that you can drag and drop to your sheet. You've got your, uh, your weapons and your armor and special abilities, all that sort of stuff. It has that same sort of drag and drop kind of mentality with, with your character sheet, and then you can build your characters that way. You can actually build a character without any of that stuff, just like you would in paper, and you just write, okay, I'm a fighter level two, three, four, whatever, and you can still kind of like key in all those things. So if you have like a yeah. fighter specialty at level two, you just type, okay, my special ability is fighter, uh, you know, uh, defense specialty or whatever, and then you've got your, if you've got your book there, then you could just, you know, use that and, and apply it. What the packs give you is they give you, when you drag that out, that over, it, it puts like this little dragon uh, head icon from the D&D, the &D, from the ampersand, basically. Uh, you click on that, and then it gives you the description that's, that's right there at any point in time in the game. So it loads it up, and then with the spells, it preloads it in, so it, it'll automatically, you know, figure out what the DC needs to be, what the damage is, that sort of stuff. So it just saves you time if you want to go that route. Uh, and then on the DM side, the same sort of thing, the monster packs. You can, you can enter in all your own monsters if you want, and you can create your own monsters. There's nothing saying that you can't you know, just open up your book and make something based off of the troll. It's just if you want one that's already everything preloaded for you, then you could buy those individual packs, and then you've got all the tokens and the graphics and stuff to go with it in addition to, the, to all the text and the stats. So it's really we, we tried to subdivide it so that if you buy the complete packs, you get everything basically that comes with that, or if you only wanted to buy a sub-pack. So... You know, one of the big things is like the D&D basic rules is, is like a $3 add-on and it has like 120 spells. It's got like four classes and four races preloaded in, weapons and armor. It doesn't have like the portrait packs, um, you know, but you could add your own portraits into the program very easily just by dropping an image into right. your portrait folder. So, you know, I, we try to subdivide it as much as possible. Some people have said, I noticed online, and this was kind of like a, a, a little uh, weird decision that we had to make about some of the class packs because obviously there's there's four classes already in the D&D basic pack and those are basic versions of like the cleric and the fighter and the wizard and that sort of stuff but there's extra archetypes in the full rules so we still have a separate fighter pack and a wizard pack and, and uh, you know cleric and rogue and those add that extra information that's in there in addition to like the portraits and stuff so that's why you'll see like the pricing is a little bit different those are only going to be like three dollars if you if uh, I think they're like three dollars each or something like that Right. Uh, for those those specific items, whereas other classes uh, typically are valued a little bit differently depending on whether or not they have a whole bunch of spell data that goes with them or not. So, what, what I like about the pack structure for for this is that you only need to buy what what you specifically need for that 
you know, session or, or, or campaign, really. So, like, if, if you're a player and you really wanted to delve into the fighter, like, for example, that was what you were saying, like, yeah. you would get the fighter pack, you'd spend three bucks, and that's all you would need. You didn't need to spend the 50 bucks on the entire player's handbook like that you, that you would if Correct. you were a player. You know, you don't, you're only spending a small amount, and then, you know, you, you get to decide whether or not you want the player license or to do a, a subscription license. So you'd be out $8 to play in a player if you wanted to, uh, work on your character offline, away from your DM. And if you, if a DM has an ultimate pack, and you know you wouldn't even need that that player license, is that that's right too, right? Correct. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of open options, and I think uh, there's ways to to play D and D without spending uh, a tons of money. Yeah, absolutely. Through fra- through uh, uh, fantasy grounds. But you can yeah. if you want to. But you can. Yeah. Well, I mean, there <laughs> are going to be people. <laughs> Who, uh, uh, you know, who, who want to collect it all to yeah. a certain extent? Well, I will say that, despite you know some of, of the comments that, w- that we saw when we first launched about you know various pricing things and hey, I've already got the books and that, uh, we we see you know a lot of people. The, probably the the main purchase that we see is people buying everything. Like they buy the full full out you know complete core pack uh, class pack and the monster pack, and they'll oftentimes throw throw the lost mine of Vandelver on there as well. So. Uh, that is definitely a good value for the money because it has, I mean, just the tokens alone, if you were to look at, you know, standard pricing on virtual tabletop tokens, uh, I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. And then you get all the other stuff kind of preloaded. So, and, and people that have bought that, uh, you know, we're getting really good feedback about, okay, well, I didn't realize at first what I was getting when I, when I, I thought I was having to pay twice for the same content. And now I realize Hey, this is this is really really useful, and this is you know absolutely worth the time savings it would take me to like put this stuff in myself. That's great, Doug. It's a good value all around. Great love tool. It. I love it. Yes, we are big fans of it here. So we do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us more about the virtual table and fantasy grounds. And um, I know that your website actually has some really great resources for people who want to learn more about the virtual table. You have some. Um, there's tutorials and FAQs and where, where should people go? What's the best place for them to, to go to if they want more information about the table and how it works? Yeah, so the, the best thing to do is just if you go to our Fantasy Grounds uh, page and then you go to the downloads page, just pull down the where it says all licenses. That has the demo license. And then when, as soon as you launch that, we have links to various uh, videos that you can then click to from there. And, and for me, I like to watch, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I prefer to like, watch a video and then work along, you know, alongside it and then try it out at the yeah. same time. And then, you know, that for me is always the best way to learn. So, uh, you know, if that's also your style, then I would say the videos are there. We have like a wiki page as well. And then, you know, just engage people on the forums. You, if you have any questions whatsoever, we have like an amazing community. And I think that's part of, uh, you know, the reason why we were able to, to get, get this partnership in place because, you know, we already had an established community and, and they are very, you know, welcoming to new people coming into the game uh, and, and learning how to play and that, that sort of stuff. You know, a lot of them have ultimate licenses. So we've got a ton of people who have ultimate licenses. And, and I'm always surprised and, and a little bit humbled by how often those people will say, hey, I'll, uh, I'm going to have a game and just let anyone come in that wants to do it. And I'll show you, you know, I'll, I'll answer questions. I'll show you how to build a character. That's I'll really walk cool. you through oh, it, really you know, all nice. that sort of stuff. And, and these are just completely volunteer uh, you know, users in our community. So, um, you know, I very awesome. much 
very much the spirit of D and D too. Is, of like yeah. how DMs always want to just be like, "Here, we'll teach you how to play. It's not yeah. hard, and just come to a session." And it's cool that that tradition has uh, continued on uh, with the Fantasy Grounds community. Yeah, it's a pretty it's, cool welcoming community. It's been awesome just to watch people do exactly that. Like, "Hey, I'm gonna come play a game. Like, I'm gonna teach you everything." Like, that's pretty awesome. That's awesome. Exactly. D players are the nicest people. Yeah. They really are the best people, especially yeah. listeners you know, of the podcast. <laughs> I, I think when I first moved to Illinois, I was in a. I was in a game store and I was looking at it was actually, it was actually like a weird hybrid store that had like pets and then like railroad like model train stuff and this then is it like had like, this is like my dream, dream store. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah. Are you sure it, it had like your all store? this kind of like hodgepodge hobbies and everything all thrown together in one big thing. But they had like, you know, hodgepodge. Uh, a bunch of like figures and then they had D D products and stuff like that. So I was looking through like the shelves of those things and then uh, some guy just randomly comes up and starts talking to me about, oh, do you play D D and this and that, and whatever? And then, you know, he invited me to his game like later that week or something and I went and ended up becoming like good lifelong friends with this guy and you know everyone else in the group and and that's what I really like about D&D in general is just like uh, it's just such a, a good social yes you know brings people together thing, you know it's just bonding yeah and I will say the friends that you make in that kind of a game, uh, you know, it's it's way better than than any other avenue of meeting people in my opinion. I mean, I've each of the, each of the people I've game with I now consider like, oh, they're lifelong friends. With maybe exception of maybe one or two people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's it's, always a one or two people. It's definitely yeah, better know, at forming relationships than like, say, online dating or something like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty pretty bold claim. I, I, I think we need to have D&D online dating. Maybe now, instead so. of speed oh dating, gosh. they D&D should Tinder. do. D&D Tinder. Oh, yeah. D&D Tinder. Swipe yeah. right to go on an adventure. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Trevor has thought about in, this. In, in, we, anyway. We've got to get John on making that. All right. Yeah, talk to John about that. So, yeah. yes, for everybody that's listening out in, in uh, our little podcast land, that is uh, fantasygrounds.com is where we're talking about going to learn more information and pick up all this information. Doug, it has been awesome, awesome having you on. It's always awesome to hear cool stories, and the, the Fantasy Grounds community is great. So thank, yeah. you for, thank you for joining us, man. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. Thank Thanks, Doug. So, gentlemen, one of the first things we always like to ask once people are on the show uh, is, I know everybody out there has heard it, you're going to hear it some more. Uh, tell us your stories of how you and D&D first met. <laughs> no, Chris first. <laughs> Chris. Oh, now, now I'm the on the spot. Yeah, you are on the spot. Bam. We, I can talk a little bit more. I, I do that a lot. I can just sit here and waste space. And, oh, wait, no, seriously, Chris, tell us your story. Uh, interesting. <laughs> how did D&D... All right, so I guess that was a question I was supposed to prep. Ooh. Wow. If that's oh. the if that's the question that's stumping you, this is going to yeah. be yeah, a tough interview. We, prom- <laughs> we, 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 we promised him it would be all, all softball questions. <laughs> no, I, mean, I can rephrase it. I it can't just be like any softer than the email said hard questions. <laughs> yeah, they did say hard hitting. You're right. Very hard hitting. Uh, no, I started uh, I started playing D and D back uh, oh, in the mid '90s in my brother's uh, 3.5 campaign, uh, and I. Older brother, younger brother. Younger brother. Oh, right. It's almost always the older brother. There's something new there. No, yeah, my my younger brother, who is a hardcore D and D fan, and actually got me into the game. Uh, so, hey, Brian. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I played in uh, a couple of his campaigns here and there uh, throughout the years. And uh, when I came here to Wizards to work on board games, it sort of reignited my love for D and D. So, were you you were just into other games, not maybe? 
I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, like, your brother's the hardcore D&D player, and you end up here at Wizards of the Coast? Shh, don't tell him. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he, he doesn't, doesn't know Chris where you work still? <laughs> I work down at the, at the yeah, Starbucks, local Microsoft. Starbucks, and it's, Starbucks. it's yeah, great. It's great. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was into more tabletop games, board games. Okay. So. And you used to work at Hasbro, right? I did. I worked in customer service at Hasbro for three years. Do they really have a robot that delivers mail? They oh, do. sorry, Bart. Oh, it's Bart, what? We, the I'm one sorry. thing I know about Hasbro. That's all I know, too. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Bart. You know more things about Hasbro. <laughs> I, I know, well, that's the one thing that always pops first into my mind. Okay. No, both buildings actually have uh, a robot that's on some sort of invisible track around the building. And it just goes from department to department, and it stops there until the person that is in charge of the mail for that department goes over to the robot, takes their mail, and puts the outgoing mail in, and then it just goes <gasps> to the next stop. It's the coolest thing okay, ever. It's totally excited. 80s technology, though. Take but that, Google. Look, you can actually give it your outgoing mail. Oh yeah. Like instead of. Yeah, you don't have to run downstairs down or anything. All, all four flights of yeah, stairs. Yeah, no, it's too far. Too far. <laughs> He'll stop. He'll just come visit. I don't remember what his name is though, or her name. I think it had a name. I'm sure. Now I think I heard its feelings. Why don't we have a mail delivery robot? I don't know. I'm just saying. Hasbro gave us half-day Fridays, but they didn't give us a mail <laughs> delivering robot. Uh, how about Ben? How right, did you I, get your start I in Dungeons and Dragons? Now, oh, now that you've heard all about robots and mail and exciting things, I can't tell if that was real or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, See, oh, I don't live in sarcasm real. like you. <laughs> <laughs> Living. Um, I. Uh, I didn't get into uh, D&D until pretty late. Uh, I played mostly electronic games when I was growing up. And it wasn't until I got into college in DigiPen at, uh, up in Redmond where I was introduced to tabletop RPG games. I started with a couple of other systems until a friend of mine uh, introduced me to D&D. And we did a short, like, four-episode uh, fourth edition campaign that uh, was uh, just had me fall in love with the whole thing. Um, playing a barbarian is always fun. <laughs> Wait, what are you playing in our in, in the games we just finished up? Oh, I was um, I, I was the Alvar. Was, was he a barbarian a, as well? No, he oh. was a rogue monk. Oh, that's right, that's right. Sorry, I, I, I got a little to, sidetracked. I try to fit barbarian into that build, but uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> we have a whole podcast dedicated to that, everybody. Yep. So your titles are both game designer, is that correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> you, you looked worried there for a second, Chris. <laughs> I think my title's still game designer. Isn't it, isn't it like major domo game designer? I think it's like the whole... <laughs> I wear a different hat based on the hour, so... That's true. <laughs> you, you guys do a lot of different stuff down there, so I can understand that. So in the context of Temple of Elemental Evil, what, what does that mean, game designer? How did you sort of come to the project? Did you have any parameters? Were there things that you particularly wanted to add to, take away the Adventure System game for this for this release? So, um, the way it started was another designer, I'm gonna put the spotlight on him, Peter Lee, who's a really smart guy, really good designer, he's downstairs. And he goes, I wanna do uh, another adventure system game. Because uh, there are a few ideas he had that he didn't implement in Legend of Dritz. And uh, my manager said that that's not a one-man job, <laughs> and probably. And so I jump, and he goes, "Ben, do you want to do it?" And I go, "Yes." Uh, and that was so, a silly question. <laughs> yeah, that that was. It's a long story, and I just did it. 
And so... Uh, <laughs> Long story, and I just did it. I'm done. There you go. Uh, so You can drop the mic. So Peter and I, <laughs> yeah, I can actually, can it's on a stand. So, um, so yeah, Peter and I basically worked together on the, the initial designs for Elemental Evil. Um, I did a lot of the adventures, a lot of the cards, a lot of the encounters and monsters. Um, and then once I got a sort of shell for that and everything, I just play tested it a lot, like a lot, lot, until I got tired of it, and then I play tested <laughs> it some more. That's, and that's pretty much how it works. By the time I yeah. came in, he was a broken man. <laughs> I was pretty tired. So I've got two game designers and two brand folk in the podcast at the moment. So what comes first? Like we've got a board game, and we want it to be in the Temple of Elemental Evil, or hey, we know our campaign storyline is going to involve the elemental evil, and we would like you to position the board game in that arena if we can. It's a little different for every game. Every game and every product is a little unique. But we, we do now, we know what our storylines are yeah. very far out, so more and more like the products are fitting into Sure. Like, what's going to be a good play experience? How are people going to be able to experience that storyline? Yeah. Like, what are the different... Different ways they can engage. I've also seen you guys come up with a cool idea and then backburn it for a while and then pull it out and put yep. it in uh, a new story game or whatever. So I know, I, know, yep. I know I've seen you guys do that. Be like, this will be a great fit for X. But right. it's something you've already worked on and something you've already had. And actually, the uh, the new system in Temple of Elemental Evil, the traps are a perfect example for that. Uh, Peter and I did some exploratory design on um, another adventure system game a year ago of which traps were very uh, important. That was going to be one of our big new mechanics. Uh, and we had actually created uh, the entire game. We had another adventure system game built. Um, and it didn't, it didn't move anywhere. Uh, might have been because it was not tied to the story. might have been for other reasons. Uh, but we designed it. It was ready to go. Uh, and it didn't see the light of day. But when we started working on Temple of Elemental Evil, the trap system was perfect. So Pete and Ben just integrated it. Awesome. So I want to get back to one thing for Ben because I don't I don't know that he said this. But Ben, was this your first tabletop game design credit for this game? Um, this was my first analog game. I am listed on the uh, credits for fifth edition, and I did do some contribution and uh, testing and feedback on that. But this is the first uh, analog game that I helped design from the ground up. So you're gonna buy like 40 copies and give them to all your friends and family and, no. and like keep a few and no, they <laughs> gotta buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, they gotta pay my paycheck. They gotta yeah. Everybody. <laughs> so we no. we talked a bit about your design on the the game and Chris, you came in as developer for yeah. the game. Now, how does that role differ? So a developer is in a sense, a designer. Uh, their job, instead of being sort of blue sky and what can we make this system, it's uh, designing the game within the constraints of targets, uh, within the constraints of balance, and within the constraints of fun. Because in the end, you want a fun game. And a developer is uh, great to come in uh, halfway to two-thirds through uh, the product cycle and uh, look at the game with a fresh eye and be able to uh, make the hard decisions that a designer might not be willing to do since they're so close to that design. Oh, you're the dream killer. I am yes. the dream killer. We talk about those people all the time. <laughs> Usually they're lawyers. Sorry, yeah. lawyers. Oh, I thought you were going in another direction. You looked <laughs> nope. at Shelly so nope. hard. Oh no, we, we come up with lots of cool stuff too. Our dreams have been killed. Our dreams have been know. killed, just really? so you guys they know. Kill dreams up here? Yes. Oh, yeah. I thought this is just where dreams came to die. Oh, it's yeah. a one-man dream-killing team. Oh wow. Yep. 
You know, on that note, I did want to ask, because I always love the story of the thousand filaments that don't work before you find the one that does work in the light bulb. Were there dream <laughs> that you did kill or mechanics that you maybe pursued that didn't quite come together in the way that you thought or are just there wild other ideas? Are ones that are sitting quietly waiting for their turn? Because you're going to, like you pulled out the traps for this one, maybe there's something. Oh, there's totally something oh, yes. from the uh, from the last adventure system game design that we did that I would love to put in another one later. I'm not going to mention what Which it is. Which we won't talk about. No. As, as, well. as someone grabs duct tape and puts it over <laughs> my mouth. Um, but yeah, there there are always, we actually have a prototype cabinet full of games that we've designed that just haven't seen the light of day. And as new concepts come out for new stories or new designs need that little extra something, it's uh, an area that we can always jump back to and say, hey, remember how we worked on this four years ago and now it's perfect. Well, so we've mentioned adventure style games a few times. Do you guys want to give us a little bit of information on what we mean? Like, we all know, and I've seen a lot of our, our listeners know, but there's got to be some people out there who don't. So you guys want to give us a primer on what we mean when we say adventure system games? Uh, sure. Uh, the adventure system games are a line of board games that we first released, I want to say, in 2009. With, 2008, 2009. With Castle Ravenloft. Yeah. Uh, and it is an expandable, uh, randomized game system where uh, you are playing through story elements, but you are drawing both tiles and cards from a randomized deck. Uh, so that every time you play, it's a, it's a different experience. There's a basic story going on with each adventure, and you kind of preset certain decks based on the story. Uh, but each time you play, you flip over a tile, and you build the dungeon as you go, encountering uh, monsters and traps and uh, different environments along the way. Yeah, if you're familiar with uh, Betrayal on House on the Hill, I love that style. If it's not just a static board, you're going to be building it uniquely every time. Mm-hmm. And you can integrate them together, yes. which I think always thought was one of the coolest features because it's just endless play opportunities. Legend of Drizzt and the you know, Wrath of Shardwan or Castle Ravenloft, they can all just Yeah, each each game is, is their own standalone game, but you can absolutely mix and match. And I've seen a ton of people on Board Game Geek make these epic piles yeah. of dungeon tiles to kind of create this massive sprawling dungeon. And you can just you can play with one person too, which is also yep. a pretty cool feature. They are one to five player games. One to five, one to four. So, one to five. One to five. One to five. Again, he play tested until he was no longer <laughs> anything, but nothing but a shell of the man we once knew. So, Ben, you went to school, did you, Pen? Yep. For game design? Uh, originally, I was in there for a uh, computer science. Game design degree didn't exist when I uh, enrolled until about two years in. Mm. Uh, and then I changed majors over. So to uh, Bachelor of Game Design and Game Design Science or VSGD, yeah. So yeah, uh, minor programming, uh, and then with a focus on game design and minor art, because cool. game design is a college major. I know, right? Yeah. Who knew? But, I mean, I'm jealous. I know. Like you guys, probably for a lot of people who are are listening, this being a game designer is. A dream job, so <laughs> to us too. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like that. We, we, a lot of us working here probably feel like they are living their dream job. Mm. But how? What advice do you have for a game designer or a, an aspiring game designer? And how how did you come into this yourselves? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, 
As you mentioned, I worked at uh, Hasbro before in customer service, uh, but it's interesting in that uh, I didn't get into Hasbro looking towards games. Uh, I was actually working as an EMT, and I thought I was <gasps> applying for a job what? at the Children's Hospital. Wait a minute. Yeah. So, Wait, you were an EMT? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I wonder was, uh, I always feel like, calm and safe <laughs> in your presence. Aw, that's I nice. didn't know that. Shouldn't it be the opposite? No, he can no, save no, me. Save the day. It's fine. No, yeah. if there's a you know some, some emergency. emergency situations going on. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so sure. I thought I was applying for the children's hospital, and I realized as I pulled up to the building that this was not like an annex building or anything. Uh, but when I started working at customer service, uh, I realized I had an affinity for game rules. Um, so I moved on from kind of answering game rule questions to speaking to some of the de- designers at Milton Bradley. From there, I moved on to playtesting with them. And from there, I moved on to developing for them. Uh, And from there, I moved on to freelance game design. So I kind of just took these steps along the way as I went further and further towards my goals, Uh, eventually moving on to freelance game design, which is the most terrifying of all things, uh, until a job opened up here at Wizards of the Coast. So did you have your eye on Wizards, waiting for something to open, or just you were happy doing your freelance and then... Oh no! I because Wizards is a subsidiary of Hasbro. It was always uh, it was always on my target. Yeah. Uh, I had actually applied to Wizards. I want to say in October or November of 2010, and I didn't, didn't get a call back until March. I had forgotten I had applied. Whoa. So when I got the call, I was like, "Why are you calling me? <laughs> like this is exciting, but what's going we, we on?" We would like to collect all your older edition D and D books because apparently that's what we do. Once we, we we have to kill all the older edition books. Sorry, just so you know. <laughs> what was the job you you applied for? It was it was, was my it job. Game it was it was the game designer job. Oh, nice. It just took a long time. That was a big move for you. It you came was. all the way across the country. Yeah, hey, you know, dream job. Yeah, you didn't have you didn't have your daughter at this point. No, I did not have my daughter, but I did have my wife. And yes. when we stepped off the plane here in Seattle, it was the first time she'd been to Washington. So she's kind of an adventurer. Good. <laughs> so advice-wise, would you say go the freelance route until you don't have to? <laughs> well, the thing is with game design, I mean, everyone's looking for experienced game designers. So making your own games uh, is the first step. Yeah. Um, whether it's just a quick card game that you cut out of paper or whether it's a full-fledged thing you're trying to push on Kickstarter, um, keep making new designs. Keep trying new things. Don't be afraid to take chances. And from there, just try to make contacts in the industry and... Uh, Honestly, work for free to start. Offer yourself as a playtester, and that's the best way to, to get in contact with people. That is good advice. Yeah. I'm going to guess Ben's story is a little bit different since he was already out here. No, I was an EMT. <laughs> <laughs> Graduated from Why DigiPen. Why have talked about this before? Because <laughs> you're a really quiet guy, like Dupuy. Theater backgrounds. I didn't know about the EMT background. Yeah, there's a, there's a big uh, subculture of us. <laughs> um, Got to blow off steam, man. Yeah. Uh, and save lives. And <laughs> yeah, because that's how you blow off steam. Yep. Save lives. Um, uh, after, uh, when I was in DigiPen, uh, this is going to be this is going to sound like I cheated because I kind of did. <laughs> um, when I was in DigiPen, a worker uh, at Wizards of the Coast was a teacher, and so I had one of his classes. I didn't know he worked here. And um, he basically took uh, a liking and let me know that there was a position open here. Uh, so I applied uh, around the year I graduated, just you know, a little bit before the last semester. And after a while, 
here's here's where me and Chris's story sync up. After a while, I finally get a call back, and then I, at which point I completely forgot. <laughs> um, this is not indicative of how long yeah. it takes yeah. us to get back yeah. to you. Yeah. Have to talk I to promise. <laughs> I think they're getting better. They got better. <laughs> yeah, they got better. They got better. There was there are reasons. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, soon afterwards, though, uh, I had my. I had interviews and, and I got the job. Uh, and I was first a contract for an assistant game, uh, game designer. Uh, and then at the end of the year, uh, I was made full time. So um, my advice is that one, you need to make things. You need to have a portfolio. It, at this point in this day and age, you have paper prototypes, you have engines that you can use to prototype game ideas on for free. Um, there is no reason to not be able to show something to someone. And the other is network like crazy. Don't burn any bridges. We are a pretty tight-knit community. Um, sometimes we become, people become teachers or advisors for another company or job or position or another location. And whatever networking or impact you have on that person kind of carries across the country. So always, always be cool to every person you come across in this industry, no matter what. Which is good life learnings anyway. Yeah. So going back to Temple of Elemental Evil a little bit more specifically, we kind of talked a, a bit about the trap functionality. That's one of the new features going into the game compared to the other adventure system games. What else sets Temple of Elemental Evil apart aside from you know, the, the story and, and the setting and the traps? Sure. Um, I'll lob this one up for you. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest things in Temple of Elemental Evil is and one of the things that I'm proudest of because I help to kind of balance it down, and that was a lot of what my work was, uh, is the campaign mode. Uh, and previously in the uh, Legend of Dritt series, they we played with the idea of a basic set of cards, uh, excuse me, in the Legend of Dritt's uh, adventure system game. Uh, we played with the idea of a basic set of cards and an advanced set of cards. Uh, and once you'd played through the game and you felt comfortable with the system, you could add the advanced cards in. We're taking it to the next level here where the advanced cards are instead added to the other decks uh, based on how you and your group do in the adventure. So as you go through each story, the decks change as your story has changed. Uh, so you are collecting gold, you're collecting things, and uh, there are new monsters to encounter. There's new traps to encounter. There's new encounters for you uh, based on how you've done in previous adventures. I think there's something else Ben's going to talk about. From the look that you're giving Ben, you would like him to talk about something else. No, no, no. I'm... Okay. Oh, you're looking? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, yeah, when when we started development for Elemental Evil, the one of the strong visions uh, that we had, uh, especially Peter, uh, so I'll talk for him because he's not here uh, and can't stop me. <laughs> is, um, he's he really he really wanted uh, to add a reason to come back to the table, uh, a, a sense of having the feeling to play one more game, uh, persistence, as it were. And that's where the campaign system started. And it went through quite a lot of iterations of what that meant, things like how do you show and keep track of how your characters change over time, 
uh, ideas with stickers and permanent markers were thrown around until we settled on the token system that's in the game. And uh, the other he had was that he wanted to uh, use the double-sided tiles for something. Uh, in the Legend of Dritz game, uh, most of the villain tiles were basically just on the sort of uh, regular 2x2 two two card size uh, tiles, which left the bigger, uh, longer tiles uh, open. So what we did in Elemental Evil is that half of them on one side they are used for the elemental node rooms, but on the other side, they are a whole town structure. So when you get to certain quests during the campaign, you actually take all of those tiles in the start time, flip them over, and you put them together to make uh, uh, the entirety of Red Larch uh, town, where you do town quests, which is a pretty big departure for the game, because usually you're not in a completely different location. So now you have these subs, uh, string of quests where you're actually going through the dungeon, going through the temple, and then when, uh, you take a break and you're doing a quest in Red Larch. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the uh, the village adventures because they're a nice break from the uh, from going through the dungeon, and I, I feel like it creates good story moments where you know you take care of one part of the elemental one of the elemental cults, and then you have to run back to town and deal with the threat, and then you go back through the dungeon, and then you have to run back to town. So there's this there's this feeling of progression as you move through the adventure book. Yeah, it feels a lot like a like a tabletop D and D campaign. Yeah, like when you when you go from one step to the other, yeah. it feels like okay, back to town, do your stuff. Oh, there's this thing in town I have to deal with, and then. Once that settles down, you still have to go back to the dungeon and do the dungeon stuff. It feels very much like a tabletop game in that, in that respect. I, I'm, a, I'm a glad advocate for the adventure system games. I like them very much. We've got the ongoing campaign going on at lunch now. And I was going to say the two reasons, if, if any listeners haven't played it before. Number one, it does feel like if you want to get your D&D in and you've got maybe 30 minutes, this is a great way to do it. And it, it feels like a D&D dungeon crawl. Yeah, that's uh, good. And then Excellent the, point, yeah. Carol. <laughs> and then the second was, and this happens almost every game. Every game, there is sort of that impending sense that we're not going to make it mm -hmm. because of the way that the game works. Yeah. There's always another monster. There's always another encounter, and it just feels like you can't do it. And then at the end, if you're good and lucky, sometimes you pull it off, and it does have that sense of accomplishment to it. Yeah, when we were when we were playtesting over and over and over again, there seemed to be this one monster that really liked to eat Ben, and that was oh, the fire bat. The fire bat that loves fire ben. bat. Just kept coming back. It was really the only one game. So <laughs> the fire bats are ranged attackers, um, right? No, no. Oh, no, but they're they can move pretty far, okay. and. With, uh, and you can see this if you go to BoardGameGeeks.com and see the uh, designer diaries by Peter Lee and <laughs> I. Uh, one of the themes that we integrated into Elemental Evil, we really wanted to make an overarching story that kind of tied in with the entire campaign. And the Elemental Evil storyline was that there is a sort of theme of, of trust and betrayal. And there are a lot of moments in that game, especially when you start pulling encounter cards, where you kind of have to decide who takes the bullet <laughs> in, in the party. And that can lead to actually a fair amount of interesting tension. Uh, not, not, not 
terrible tension, right? <laughs> but interesting tension because it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it goes south immediately. Some awkward moments of angry stares across yeah, the table. Like, yeah. You just suck, you just sick that bit monster on me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I got this treasure, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> well, even the mechanics of the doppelganger work well into that, where it's just a simple placement mechanics, but suddenly the doppelganger was you, and you are back at the start tile, yeah. and it just yeah. fits so cleanly and well into that story. Yeah, that line. is one of my favorite monsters uh, from the game. The way the mechanic works is when you when you flip over the doppelganger monster, uh, you replace your mini with the doppelganger. So if you were next to a friend, suddenly the doppelganger is next to your friend, uh, and you go back to the start tile, um, and then immediately the doppelganger attacks Fold your you. friend. On <laughs> Earth, the deception. <laughs> and I will say one of the things that I think is cool. So this is my favorite adventure game so far. Um, but I would also point out, you don't have to go back and like play the previous ones to play this one. You can just pick this one up and play it and learn it just like you could any of the others. So I would advise just going out, playing it maybe at a store where you, your local store where they might have cracked one open already. Um, it, is, it is a super, super fun game. So clearly you guys love games, love board games in particular. And as much as we love the Adventure System game, we did also kind of want to ask, what other, if you had three other board games maybe that you're playing or have played recently that you enjoyed or caught your interest, what, what might those have been? Three, huh? Uh, let's Four see. One. I don't see this on the list. I think, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're totally, we totally hosed them again. We're, we're just going off script, aren't we? <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, as, as Shelly alluded to earlier, I have a two and a half year old at home, so I don't get out to play board games nearly as much as I would like to, uh, but I do tend to play two player games with my wife, uh, and one that we particularly enjoy is uh, Lost Cities. Uh, which I believe is a Reiner Knizia game. And uh, it's a two-player card game where you're exploring and going on different adventures and trying to collect uh, points, and it's a lot of fun. I think we'll limit it to one. We'll make this easier. All right. We're going to do one game. Oh, oh that's really easy. Yeah. Lords of Waterdeep out now <laughs> at your local game store. <laughs> that's Fires. our company, man. <laughs> All right, so that's you're promoted. Great. You're fired. Oh. <laughs> Not again. You know, I, I guess I had that on top of my mind, obviously because board game designers, but uh, it was board game night here last night, mm -hmm. uh, and one of the benefits of that is just being able to just break out a random board game and seeing how the different mechanics work. Do you have another game that's not one of ours, man? So oh, people don't yeah. think we're just shills. I yeah. mean, we are shills, but. Uh, <laughs> I also, uh, I've been playing Ticket to Ride. Oh, I recently, love Ticket to Ride. So. Yeah. Shelly's terrible at Ticket to Ride. I am undefeated in our household. <laughs> nice. So wait, how, how old's Quinn? I don't think he counts. You can't be like. <laughs> I have not. I have played with him Quinn, Quinn's old enough to play Ticket to Poop. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. That's, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, so. Before we let you guys go back to the uh, depths of R&D, is there a place that folks can find you online if they wanted to follow uh, your rantings and See ravings? See what you're working on. Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. My Twitter handle is at GameGuruChris, and you can search for my page on Facebook. The hubris of that Twitter. What? Nothing. I'm just <laughs> on Facebook. I don't, I don't even have Twitter yet. Are you still on know. Facebook? I thought you were a ghost online. Well, I mean, you know, I haunt things. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I have a Facebook page. Just snail mail. But you're not his friend, so... Uh... Yeah, you're not my friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. This is news yeah. to me. Wow. <laughs> Two cubes over, and I, I didn't even know. I, I have uh, one more question. EMT. <laughs> yeah, We all seriously. learned something yeah. today. <laughs> this is why we should all do podcasts together more often. This is true. Um, I have a question for you, Chris. Okay. This is not also on the, the script. Uh-oh. Um, but it's come up before, and I have to know the answer. 
Okay. I hope it's not going to make you cry or anything. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit more nervous. Why is your nickname Boots? Yeah. Because <laughs> I kind of feel like that would be a good nickname for me. Yeah, let's tell the world. What? Yeah. Do you know the answer, Trevor? No, but I'm just I'm just hoping it's 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 like kid friendly and like okay for us to put it on the air. Yeah, why are you is. why are you boots, why sir? Are my boots. Okay, so uh, let's roll back about two months ago. Uh, yeah. I was I was training for a 5K because apparently that's a thing that I did, um, <laughs> and uh, and I hurt my foot because uh, oh. of a bunch of reasons put together. Apparently there's a certain way you're supposed to run and my mad flailing is not one of them. Who says? <laughs> my legs. <laughs> uh, and uh, I didn't have good shoes and I stopped running on the treadmill and I started running on the road because that's what you do at a 5K. So right. when all those things put together, I uh, had a stress fracture in my leg. So I started wearing this weird unwieldy boot for uh I think it was about two hours before someone called me boots down in R&D. Oh. And all of a sudden, it just spread like wildfire. It did. I mean, I've yeah. seen it come up in emails. In fact, I was talking to Ben the other day. He said, blah, 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 Chris. Uh, I mean, boots. I like, mean, he boots. even, like, stopped calling you by your real name. Well, well and part of the problem is in R&D, <laughs> there's three Chris's. Yeah. There's Chris Perkins, Chris Youngs, and myself. So when people start, when it, whenever someone walks around and says Chris, all three of us will turn around. Oh. So all of a sudden when there's an alternative name to call someone by, you just jump on it. You, I, you jump on it because you don't have to turn around all the time. So it's a horrible story. So thanks for bringing up that painful yeah. memory, yeah. Shelley. I, I don't know. I, that's not what I thought. <laughs> I wasn't by You know, you don't have to wait for a podcast to ask me questions, Shelley. Yeah. Well, I wanted it to be. Like, so this is actually how we start asking like, these questions. Yeah. So we actually we actually need to come up with nicknames for everybody in the office now. I want everybody I want, named Chris or Matt. No, I mean just like like I want a nickname for you and Bart. Go on. Bart can be like Mr. Poopy Pants, I guess. Uh, there's not that many other Barts, well, I, aren't they? I, I still want using, nicknames wait, for wait, everybody. If, if using online relation or TV relationship logic, oh, no. aren't they like Casanoble or something? No, no, no. Our, our celebrity oh, couple names yeah. are awful. Casanoble, Shelley, yeah. Bart, Shart. <laughs> All right, well, you went there. Yeah. I thought you were supposed to do last names. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Um, Mazza Carroll, yes. Me and my wife are McKid. We've already figured that one out, last name. That's but I don't, I don't know what our first names would be. So that's just cool. That's not... That's not we're actually probably going to change, legally change our last names to that at some point, but <laughs> we'll get there. Well, on that note... On that note. <laughs> on that note, because you didn't come here to talk about designers or board or games. Nicknames, <laughs> but we'll work on the nickname thing, but... It was. It's cool to have you guys here, though, because I mean, Temple of Elemental Evil is is getting some great reviews. People are really excited about it. Oh, it is. Oh, thank God. You need to get out more. <laughs> I didn't look. I didn't want to look. <laughs> yes, people really like it. I was worried. It's good on the job, hot ben. list. I did, I did good work. Yeah, people it. people love it. Yeah, we're we're really excited to see it come out. It's uh, it's been a great partnership with WizKids, and uh, we are uh, excited to uh, to see it in everyone's hands. Great. Well, thank you for your time today, and uh, let's have you back soon to talk a little bit more board games. Absolutely. Yeah. See you guys. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Temple of Elemental Evil is available now at your friendly local gaming store. And look for the Fantasy Grounds virtual table at fantasygrounds.com. Of course, you can download the Dungeons & Dragons podcast from the D&D website under the media section or subscribe directly from iTunes. 